everyone, and thank you for coming back and joining me on Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and boy, do we have a great show in store for you tonight. My first guest is going to be one of my all-time favorites, not just as a guest on this show, but also as a broadcaster in general and as a human being in general, and that's Mr. Ben Wright. I've had the privilege of talking with a lot of great people on this show, and no one gets me more excited and fills me with more emotion and more reverence than when Mr. Wright joins me. He's come to mean a great deal to me over the last several years. His stories are outstanding. I've, I've learned a great deal about being on the air by going back and listening to his play-by-play calls, you know, when to speak and when to be quiet. There's no greater joy, folks, I promise you, on this show than sitting back and listening to Mr. Wright share his stories and his insights. And I'm so excited that I'm going to be able to do that once again tonight. Mr. Wright will be along, and he'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from one of the best instructors in the game, and that's Golf Academy lead instructor Brian Jacobs. Brian has become a wonderful friend of the show. We'll talk about advice for parents of junior golfers out there, and those junior golfers, if they aspire to play competitively, whether it's you know on their school team or in AJGA tournaments, we'll talk about dealing with that and what it's like to have your junior get involved in those sorts of things. Again, for both the junior from a you know the tips and the mental side, and to parents for dealing with those sorts of things. We'll talk to Brian about that. We'll talk about how to fix our slicer from coming over the top and pull hooking the golf off the tee. We'll get some advice from Brian on that. And Brian is up there in Buffalo, New York, so I may sneak in a question or two about his bills this, uh, this upcoming season. Brian will join me a little bit later on in this half hour. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a visit from Super Speed Golf co-founder and president Mike Napoleon. You know, we just started partnering with Mike and Super Speed Golf, so we'll talk about how their super speed sticks, you know, and their swing routine can help us add more club edge speed and more distance, which is what we're all after. We'll hear about the results that some of their customers are seeing. We'll do all that and more with Mike when he joins me about 45 minutes from now. So a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And you know what? Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour or so. But before we get started, you know, I'd like to remind you about our good friend Matthew Lawrence and his show Backspin Golf, which airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It's my regular Sunday, 8.03 a.m. tea time, and the show is broadcast on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. You can stream it live by going online to WLXG.com or doing what I did, which is download the WLXG app. Matthew's outstanding, and it's a great way to start your Sunday mornings. His equally fantastic and twin brother, Mitchell, also has a great golf show that marries golf and travel. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can find online at golf news, uh, golfnewsnet.com or over on Audioboom, or really just anywhere you consume uh, your podcast. He and his co-host, Darren Bunch, they travel all over the world, and they let you know where to stay, play, and even eat while you're there. Again, it's called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online at golfnewsnet.com or over on Audioboom. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear our good friend Steve Rondonero talking about the great things they've got going on up there. Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more. 
play legendary golf this season at French Lick Resort. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place it is and to book your stay as well. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. You can now order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids at BenHoganGolf.com. They'll build the clubs to your specifications, and best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line, again, of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. We're also proud to be partnering with Russ Holden and the wonderful folks over at Caddy for a Cure. One of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It's a fantastic way to have the time of your life while supporting our wounded service members and Fanconi anemia. You're going to get to walk side-by-side with your tour player experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to the amazing experience you're going to have, you're going to get a fantastic gift package from Caddy for a Cure, including Under Armour logoed apparel and an eyewear package, a tour-grade Caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a tin-cup ball marking gift, chest cut real jerky, and professional photographs from your day. They've got spots open right now that you can bid on to caddy for Jason Day, Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, and Justin Thomas. Go online to caddy for a cure. That's C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R-A-C-U-R-E, caddyforacure.com to learn more. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Mr. Ben Wright. Like I mentioned a moment ago, he's a treasure to me and to the game of golf. No one over the history of this show has come to mean more, me, more to me than Mr. Wright has. His kindness and generosity have go beyond words. In my mind, he's the best podcaster in golf history for the wonderful way that he has framed up golf for all of us on TV, making the events he was a part of infinitely more enjoyable to watch. He is also one of the great storytellers of all time, and you'll understand why I say that even more if you go pick up his book, Good Bounces and Bad Lies, which you can find on Amazon.com. And one of the things that I have posted over the last few years on our website, typically in January, I've listed five things that I'm wishing for out of the golf year. And every year on my list is Ben Wright broadcasting one more Masters. Um, You're going to see it again again, uh, in January of 2019 right there at the top of my list. But I'm honored he is with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mr. Wright. Thank you for coming back on the show. It's my uh, extreme pleasure, Chris. Uh, I, I, you know, I get a, a real kick out of being with you, and uh, I, I'm particularly pleased and flattered that, you know, I'm an old man now. In fact, I'm just about a month from my 86th birthday, believe it or not. And, and you know, I've been out of TV for a, well, almost 20 years, and thankfully, lovely people like you keep calling. (laughs) So I get to talk about the game that I adore. Well, Mr. Ray, you know, the last time that uh, we got to spend some time with you was just prior to the Masters. So catch us up. What's been going on with you so far this summer? Well, we've had a, a wonderful summer. My wife, Helen, and I decided to come up to Southampton, uh, Long Island, where she has a condo, because we were invited to be 
uh, guests of the United States Golf Association for the Open Championship at Shinnecock Hills, which is, in my opinion, the best golf course in the whole of the United States. And that's saying a tremendous amount. And I played a lot of golf there, Chris, in years gone by with my then colleague, Jack Whitaker at CBS, who was a member there. And I absolutely adored that golf course. Now, of course, I've got to say that the course I played was a very great deal different uh, from that that was played at the Open. But we had a wonderful time. And uh, they, they, they look after. I'm, I have a handicap problem uh, in, in my back. Um, I had a serious operation, and uh, they, the USGA could not have looked after me as a handicapped person. It was quite extraordinary how beautifully they looked after people like myself, including giving us an electric scooter to, to, to zoom around the golf course, which is a lot of fun. But rather scary because, you know, people don't look where they're going. And uh, it, was it was almost dangerous to have me at the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, we're having a wonderful time up on Long Island, which is probably the most expensive place I've ever been in America. But, uh, you know, as... As they say, you can't take it with you. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so to that end, Mr. Wright, give us your thoughts. What, what, what did you think about what we saw there at Shinnecock Hills between the, the layout of the course, the U.S. Open, and how it all played out? Well, you know, um, obviously the USGA lost it again on the Saturday afternoon and caused uh, Phil Mickelson to have a an incredibly stupid rush of blood. Uh, you know, there, there's no really any good reason for that. He should have been disqualified, of course, but they're not going to affect the gate by uh, disqualifying him because too many people love him, and a hell of a lot of them are from New York State. It's uh, extraordinary that love affair that there is between uh, the people here and Phil Mickelson. But um, going back to the golf, I can't say enough about Brooks Kepka because when he won there in Hills last year, I thought, well, he can win on a golf course where the fairways are 50, 60 yards wide, which made it a totally unsuitable venue in my humble opinion. Uh, see, but he proved at Shinnecock that, that he can do it on a really hard golf course with no let-up holes at all. And I, I can't give the guy enough credit for that. Uh, also, of course, I was very excited about the English boy, Tommy Fleetwood, with his last round of 63, 
which was only one more than uh, would have got him into a playoff and created a, a record. But um, I wish he'd get his hair cut, mind you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's an old fogey for you. But um, <laughs> it was a wonderful championship, uh, apart from Saturday afternoon, when the conditions became totally out of hand, really. I mean, when you get the best players in the world on TV uh, putting off greens, it, it, it's not really kosher. And uh, I was I was very disappointed in that. And I, I'll tell you, Chris, what upsets me is that it is the seeming antagonism between the USGA and the best professionals in the world. They are hell-bent, the USGA are, on humiliating the best players. Whereas at the British Open uh, at Carnoustie, which was obviously the hardest golf course on, on the uh, Open Championship rotor, the, the, the attitude of the Royal and Ancient which is really rather marvelous because you would expect them to be stuffy as can be. But they just say, "We there it is, go go play, and if you shoot 59, so be it. But this antagonism uh, against the pros, I find unseemly, to put, to put it mildly. But, I, I, I you know, that sounds... Uh, ungracious since I was hosted so generously by the USGA. But I do wish they could back off a bit and let the players go at it and score what they like, you know? Yeah, and that's that's exactly one of the points that I really wanted to expound on with you because I feel like the USGA has it backwards. It feels like they're so bent on even par being the winning score, that they are doing things to the golf course to try to make it so. And to your earlier point, you know, the RNA and, and the, you know, the PGA of America seem to be like the RNA to me, the, the weather is going to dictate how this plays out, right? The, the golf courses are gettable if it's, if it's beautiful outside, but when the wind starts to blow and it starts to rain and all those sorts of things, then the, the golf course bites back. And then PGA of America, it seems like, you know, hey, if you shoot par, you shoot 20 under like Jason Day did a couple of years ago. So be it. You, you got the golf course and the golf course didn't get you. But the, but the USGA is backwards. It's like they're trying to force even par to be the winning score. I just think they've got it wrong. I agree with you. I, you, make, you make the point much more succinctly than I did. Um, it, it is a shame, but it's the... It's this antagonism. Of course, the players, you know, have got to to dislike the USGA, and that's very sad. You know, there shouldn't be that. It should be a mutual respect. And uh, I really really find it tiresome. But, um, you know, it's easy for me to say because uh, I've been around long enough to see how they made a nonsense of the Open. I mean, in 2004 at Shinnecock, it became virtually unplayable 
I mean, it was totally ridiculous. And, uh, you know, sprinkling while play was on was totally unfair because they were doing it for some players and not for others. And, uh, you know, I wish they just set up the golf course hard as they want it, put the pins in some tough places on at least some of the holes, and let them fly, you know. Just don't, as you say, try and make uh, even par the, the winning score. It's ridiculous because you're not going to do that nowadays. I mean, these guys are so good, they're going to beat you whatever you do, and uh, but there's no need to make them look stupid. And some of those players looked, frankly, stupid. And I won't name anybody because I, I lost count of guys putting off greens and so on. It was so sad, really. Uh, anyhow, enough. Enough already. <laughs> <laughs> so looking ahead to this weekend's PGA Championship at Bell Reef Country Club, where Gary Player won the 65 U.S. Open, and that was his tournament to complete the career Grand Slam back when he was 29 years of age. And, and I know you didn't start with CBS Sports until the early 70s, but you and Mr. Player are, are really good friends. Do you remember that Open and him completing the career Grand Slam? Yes, I do, Chris, um, because obviously it was the first time because of Ken Venturi almost dying at Congressional in the Open of 1964. It was the first time they had a single round on the final Sunday, which was a very good move in the correct direction and admirable by the USGA. But it ended in an 18-hole playoff with uh, uh, Gary against a great friend of mine, Kel Nagel of Australia, uh, who's no longer with us and was one of the most lovely people uh, you could ever wish to meet. He served all through World War II as a foot soldier and was just a down-to-earth lovely man. And I remember him telling me years later that um, Gary was a little fortunate in that he got some fortuitous bounces off spectators in in the playoff. There There were two particular instances where he hooked tee shots uh, apparently into real no man's land, and uh, they hit uh, spec- both of them hit a spectator in the back and bounced clear. So uh, you know, it, it, it was. Uh, I think those eighteen hole playoffs are well done away with. Um, they're very boring, and um, that was very boring too. I might add. Uh, uh, but there we are. Um, I was also obviously uh, broadcasting when Nick Price won the PGA at Bell Reeve in uh, 1992. And um, you know something? It's a kind of golf course, Chris, that I don't really remember a lot about. 
It's a lovely parkland layout with enormous greens and enormous bunkers, but there's, there's just something about it that just uh, didn't click with me. Uh, of course, I'm I'm crazy about Lynx Golf and, and Shinnecock Hills, although it isn't truly Lynx Golf, is as near as makes no difference. But, you know, I... I question uh, playing on Parkland inland courses, the the major championships. Uh, I, you know, there, there are obviously there's some very good ones coming up in the future. Beth Page Black next year, Harding Park, the Ocean Course at Kilwara Island, and places like Oak Hill in uh, Rochester, New York. Uh, uh, you know. Really good, great, great tests of golf. But I, I think just Belle Reve is very beautiful, no question about it. But it's not exactly what you'd call memorable, but it's a hard, hard golf course. And, um, you know, it's a true, true test. There's no question about it. And going back to that 92 championship, Nick Price won it, six under par, 278. But that was, you know, a long time ago, especially when you think about it in terms of how advanced golf equipment and golf technology and the golf ball have come since since that tournament. So six under par, do you think we'll see something close to that again, or do you think we've made so such big strides since then we might be looking at a champion that's somewhere, you know, double digits and above? Um, I would be surprised, Chris, if it isn't double figures under par uh, because of the improved equipment. But the, it's the players have improved with their fitness. I mean, some of them are real gym rats, notably Rory uh, McElroy. And, um, you know, they're just so... It, it, you know, in my early days, Chris, I, w- I would accept what other sportsmen would say, that golfers were not athletes. And that, that was almost true. It was a little hard, but there were, there were a lot of bellies out there, a lot of beer bellies. And, uh, <laughs> and it was a boozy game, really. But, um, you know, now, uh, gosh, what a fit-looking bunch of people they are. Mr. Wright, a couple of more before we let you go. And going back to the time after the Open Championship, I was a little disappointed in the hours afterwards and the headlines on outlets like ESPN because they were all about Tiger Woods. Nary a word on their main headlines on ESPN.com about Francesco Molinari having actually won the event. It was all different things about Tiger. And we seem to be, you know, you know, everything seems to be Tiger crazy, Tiger mania everywhere. Was it that way back in the day? Was that when, when Mr. Hogan was at his, at his peak or when Arnold Palmer was, you know, at the peak of his popularity and, and his prime or, or Jack Nicklaus? Was it all about them or is it different now that we are so fixated on Tiger Woods? Uh, I think it's the, it's the most extraordinary thing. Uh, it was never like that. In Palmer's day, of course, he was revered, but it was the big three. Uh, in Hogan's day, 
there was huge respect for the gentleman, but uh, particularly from the British public. But, you know, nothing like the hysteria there is a, around Tiger today. And, you know, it, 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 I, I find it a little bit upsetting, actually, because Francesco Molinari has been a, 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 a really great player in a quiet way for a long time, and he's suddenly come good this year. And, and uh, I think he got very little credit. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that American television uh, didn't give him a fair shake at all. And sticking with Tiger just a little bit, Mr. Wright, we, you know, we've got the, the Tiger versus Phil winner-take-all match sort of looming out there that they're, that they're trying to finalize. It sort of feels a little to me like the old shell matches just for a whole lot more money. The, were those things that did, – did people like watching those back in the day? Was that something you enjoyed broadcasting and, and reporting on, or is that something that, that went, for, went by the wayside for a reason? Well, you know, when in my young days, uh, Chris, there wasn't the money available, obviously. I remember vividly uh, lunching with Christy O'Connor the great Irish player, before he went out and won the first four-figure sum in British golf history. And that was uh, 1955, if memory serves me correctly. And when you think of the millions tossed around today, it is very different. And uh, I find, you know, I, I, I... will re- willingly admit that Tiger is one of the all-time great players, but he has got a lot to prove right now. Uh, you know that he's back to his best. Uh, he really had a, a wonderful chance at Carnoustie, and I think rather predictably, uh, you know, it sort of—I uh, wouldn't say he choked, but. Uh, the enormity of it, I think, got to him. Uh, but um, I, I really think there's a lot too much, uh, a lot too much of Tiger when he's not in contention. I I get really ticked off when he's 12 or 15 shots out of the lead, and we get an overdose of Tiger. Uh, we're at you know at the expense. Of the guys who were winning the tournament, for goodness sake. Yes. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. I, you know, I, I feel the same way. I feel like they're making him the story when he's not the story. The guy who's actually winning is the story, but it just gets overshadowed by Tiger. And, and to that end, Mr. Wright, and I know, again, what a, a, a big fan you were of Ben Hogan. Right now, you know, if, if Tiger were to win, this PGA championship, the U S media would be like, it's the greatest comeback in the history of golf, forgetting what Mr. Hogan came back from, forgetting what he achieved after the accident and the things that he went through to get back to the top of the game. Do you mind touching on that briefly, please? Well, you know, I, 
I was I was horrified that everybody's saying that Tiger made the the greatest comeback uh, in golf history from from uh, injury, and uh, I, I to me Hogan is head and shoulders above anybody that ever came back and did what he did. And when he went to Karnowski, having said that he was going to win and would never return, you know, people tend to forget he'd already won the Masters and the U.S. Open that year before he even got to Karnowski. And it was only four years since he was nearly killed in that terrible accident when he went head on in a, in his car with his wife and and the coach and and Hogan flung himself across to cover up his wife to save her from injury or tried to and it was he that bore the brunt of the uh, of the real crash and you know that to my mind Four years later, to win the three majors in which he competed because he couldn't compete in the United States PGA because it was the following week, I believe, after the British. I mean, that, to my mind, is the greatest comeback in the history of the game. Couldn't agree more. Mr. Wright, tonight, like every other time, You've joined me on the show. It has been such a huge privilege to get to spend some more time with you. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back on the show, and I, I hope we get the honor of having you back on the, again, uh, back on the show again soon. Just ask me, Chris. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, you very so much. much, Mr. Wright. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to that time of catching up with you again real soon. Thank you very much, Chris. That is the great Ben Wright, and uh, like I say, folks, nothing gets me more excited and more emotional about a segment than uh, getting to spend more time uh, with Ben Wright. He's, uh, he's a golf treasure, and he has meant a great deal to me over the course of the years of this show, and uh, I sure hope we get the opportunity to catch up with him again sometime in the fall. All right, folks, before I get to my next guest, Brian Jacobs, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our other sponsors. First, I have to tell you how excited I am about the new weapon that I have in my golf bag. For the last few months, I've been playing the new M4 driver from TaylorMade Golf, and if you haven't tried their new Twist Face technology, you're missing out. I don't know about you, but I don't hit it in the center of the face every single time. After studying hundreds of thousands of swings from pros and amateurs like us, TaylorMade designed their new drivers to help protect us from our misses and give us straighter distance. So whether your miss is on the low heel or the high toe, Twist Face brings the ball back to center, keeping the distance that we want and finding more the fairways more often. I'm hitting more fairways than I ever have, and the new drivers are also the choice of some pretty good golfers that you might recognize. Twist Face is played by Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, John Rahm, and Justin Rose, to name just a few, and dominating the top 10 out on tour. If you haven't tried their Twist Face, go hit it and get fit. It's in the new M3 and M4 drivers and only from TaylorMade. I also want to give a shout-out to our newer friends at Super Speed Golf, and you're going to hear their co-founder and president, Mike Napoleon, join me a little bit later on in the show. Now used by over half of the tour players in the world, 
Super Speed Golf is the fastest and most effective way to increase your swing speed. Three eight-minute training sessions per week is all you need to get 5% more swing speed. With sets for golfers of all ages and over one year of included video instruction, Super Speed offers a complete solution to help you start bombing it off the tee. Visit them online at superspeedgolf.com to pick up your set today. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Brian Jacobs. Let me remind you about Brian's background. Here in his undergraduate and master's degree of education at NYU, he became a PGA Assistant Director of Instruction at Ravenwood Golf Club up in Rochester, New York back in 2006, simultaneously becoming a staff instructor for Hank Haney Golf. 2010, he became the Director of Instruction at a Hank Haney and a Hank Haney Certified Instructor at uh, Iran Dequois Country Club up in Rochester. 2014, he became a lead instructor on the Golf Channel Golf Academy. 2015, he started the Brian Jacobs Golf Academy up at Ridgemont Country Club, also in Rochester, and I'm very excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Brian, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, how you doing this evening? Ah, fantastic, Brian. How have you been, my friend? It's been a little while. Catch us up. What's been going on with you? Oh, my goodness. Well, we've been busy up here. First of all, i got to tell you, I love Ben Wright. I just love that guy. He is uh, a treasure, as you said uh, earlier in the show, and uh, we've been busy up here. We're we're uh, winding down one of our PGA Junior Golf Camps and then uh, a busy day or busy afternoon of lessons. And then um, I just donated some time to the PGA section uh, and gave free golf lessons uh, for a couple hours at one of our, our local uh, AAA teams, the Rochester Red Wings. So I'm, I'm back home. I'm in my office, and I get to talk to one of my other good friends. It's a great way to cap the day off. Ah, I appreciate you. Same here. And – Teacher of the Year, I know you're up for it. We we got to get you over the top. What do we need to do? <laughs> well, it's all down to prayer now. Uh, <laughs> just keep doing what we're doing. And, uh, yeah, the executive director of, of the section was uh, at the free lessons this evening, and he said, I've never seen anybody get so many letters of support in all my years of, of uh, you know, doing this. And I said, well, I have a lot of friends, I think, <laughs> you know, in the business and I started to think back a little bit on the drive home. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I've been all around the country and, and met a lot of different people and been touched by so many people and learned so much. And I could never thank everybody. But uh, anytime you win an award, it's really a reflection of, number one, your your spouse and, and your family and your values, and then also your peers um, and all the people that you've learned from. So it's really a, a community award when I, when I get one, and, and it's been a great ride this year and, and I'm looking forward to hopefully continuing on, you know, with teacher of the year type credentials. Well, we're pulling hard for you. Got fingers, toes, everything we can crossed and uh, doing a <laughs> sign you. the cross for you, my friend. Hopefully uh, we get some really good news. So, but congratulations, you know, to be, I'm sure just to be this far is a huge honor and uh, you certainly deserve it. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. So, Brian, let's talk a little bit about your golf academy. And, and, and when you get a new junior student that's, that, that comes to, whether it's to a group lesson 
private lesson. Talk about what you go through and how you, you know, analyze their swing and figure out what they need to do in order to get better. We actually do a new student assessment with every student that comes, but in particular youth, we want to sit down with the parents um, or guardian and then also the student and make sure that they're a culture fit for us as, as well as we will, will be for them. And then we, we take them through a little bit of a, a values test, we call it. We take them out on the golf course and, and put them in challenging situations and see how they respond. And, and then we bring them back in, and then we might take them through the entire bag, talk a little bit about the practice, and then also what their goals are and where they want to be in a year and two years and five years. Uh, we recommend a lot, whether, whether the student stays with us or whether we choose them as a fit, um, to do a lot of writing, creative writing, journaling, um, especially for teenagers, you know, they go through so much today with the media barrage and, and all the um, negative things that happen in society. We want to make this a positive experience for them. So we like to see our kids journal and, and, um, and there might be times where they might ask us to read their, their stuff and it, and it connects them to us and us to them. And, and, um, you know, we feel that we're an extension of their family then. So it's, it's, we really try to get kids to fit into our culture, and we look for specific culture criteria, value criteria for our athletes so that we're successful with them. And, and Brian, you've talked a, a lot about goals, and I know that's very important mm-hmm. to you, writing down the goals so that it's a visual thing. But when you're, when you're talking to those junior players and their parents, for that matter, and talking about mm-hmm. what their goals are, What's the conversation like regarding the level of commitment it's going to take on both, the, you know, the, the, the junior player, him or herself, what they're going to need in order to get to meet those goals, but also the commitment the parents are going to need to make as well? Right. You know, depending on the age, you know, when they come in when they're, when they're younger, we like to put them in our youth academy until they're about 13, you know, or they show a, a real aptitude for um, like I teach a seven-year-old girl, I can give an example. She's wonderful. Her parents are wonderful. Um, and she tried to be in a group, but she just wasn't getting what she felt out of it. And you could tell she has what we call the gift. Um, she's a real quick learner. She's very athletic. She's a hard worker. And she's little. You know, she's she's seven turning eight. And um, she's just the cutest little thing. But she she's, will rip your face off on the golf course. You know, she she <laughs> wants to win. So. Um, she didn't really care much for the group and her, and her dad and her mom are just the greatest. And they're just like, we, we just want her to have fun. We want her to have a good time. And I said, well, keep her engaged in other sports, you know, and let her ask you to go. And the dad was telling me the other day, she always wants to go and practice. She wants to go and practice. And, and I said, is that good or bad? He goes, no, it's good. He goes, I'll, I'll take her anytime she wants to go. So her goals sometimes are, a little more um, specific than sometimes a 13 or 14 year old might be where, you know, we want the goal. The tour is not necessarily the goal for a lot of these kids. They just, they want to be as good as they can be. And that's what we like to see. Um, You know, and if something works out where they're capable and able to play in college, that's great. And if they're in college and they um, blossom into something even better than that, then we might have a discussion about mini tour or, or, um, you know, other things down the road. But, but uh, when they are writing their goals and talking about their goals, the parents have to know they've got to be in it for the long haul. And it's peaks and valleys, like everything in life. It's not a straight line. And, and uh, we're there to support them. And we're also there to help them, the parents. 
too there where we early in my career we would get parents you know that would just overcoach the kids and you'd have to tell them to back off you know and just you're, you're ruining your son or daughter you know you, you've got to let them let them do stuff on their own make make mistakes and learn and and uh and it's a process it's a long long process so we we have great commitments from our athletes and from our parents and brian millennials aren't like when we were kids their attention spans aren't as long. You have to sort of pry their cell phones out of their hands. Then they want instant gratification. Correct. How do you keep your junior players engaged and excited about the game? Well, we game a lot with them. We we had today. So it hasn't rained up here, and it's been in the 90s, I think 17 or 18 days. Um, the summer, which we don't normally get, super high humidity. We haven't had much rain. Well, today it poured. And so, you know, I talked to my associate coach today, and I said, hey, this is going to be gut day. We're going to we're going to call when it rains. It pours day. We're going to pour in putts today, and we're going to have a competition in the rain. We're going to go out on the golf course, and we're going to teach these kids how to be tough. And we have 13 kids in our camp, and not one kid complained. Um, they had fun in the activities. The time went fast. A lot of them said, and you know they're soaked and they're laughing and they're having a great time. But we changed things. We you know played one hole where they had to throw. Everything was a throw. You know, and, and uh, so they threw all the way to the green and then they putted. And what's really interesting is, too, is that um, we're getting kids that can't throw or catch. Um, so we're spending time in our camps teaching kids how to throw. You know, when I was growing up or when you were growing up, you know, our dads, we went out in the yard and we threw the football around or we threw a baseball around or we had a game of catch. And, and these kids are sitting on the computer. So... We're encouraging the parents, you know, to play catch with their kids and get them out and outside. And, and we don't see a lot of great function out of a lot of the kids. And then when you see a kid that functions really, really well, you're like, wow, this kid's unbelievable. Um, but all of our kids function pretty well. A couple kids are a little weak in the throwing and the catching. So we just game with them. We, we, we'll take them in the gym and we'll throw, you know, um, volleyballs at them all different ways and make them balance on one foot and have them catch and throw. And by the end of the week, they get pretty good at it. So just creative ways to get them to get stuff that we just grew up with. So we have balance and we can have, we have proprioception where we can move around in space. And, and a lot of the kids today, they just don't, they sit around a lot and they eat and, you know, and don't do much of anything, which is kind of sad. Brian, let's, Let's take it up a notch for, for the rest of us mm-hmm. listening in that could use some help with our games. And, you know, um, back when I was taking lessons and, and first starting out in the game, we, we, we were told not to swing too hard. You know, let the club do the work. Now we hear, mm-hmm. you know, everything is about club head speed and ball speed. You've got to swing, mm-hmm. you know, faster because if you don't, you're not going to get the distance that you need. How do you teach right. your students to generate more club head speed? Wow, <laughs> I heard your your uh, plug for your your one of your new sponsors. We actually use Superspeed a lot. Uh, we we test kids that way. We we do a lot with their with functional movement with them to create speed. We do a lot of jumps and turns, and um, we're trying to create speed. And we also want the kids to swing fast, and then we we'll fix the face for them. Where again, where you know where we grew up and maybe played, we we learned how to curve it. You know, and 
And maybe if you didn't hit it that far, it was okay. Um, but now everybody needs to hit it far. I, I was down visiting a colleague in Philadelphia, and he had a girl that plays at Notre Dame, and she was playing on the Symmetra. Um, she got a sponsor's exemption. And the first thing he looked at was the driving distance, you know, of, of all the girls that were leading the tournament. There was girls hitting at 301, you know. Wow. And, yeah, I mean, that was crazy. And I forget which, uh, the name of the tournament, but her, her his girl hits at about 285, which for a girl, is it's amazing. Um, you know, to hit it that far. For a guy, it's amazing. I mean, and so to be able to compete, they have to hit it farther. They just have to. Um, and they've got to be able to drive it and play, and they've got to be able to hit it long with their irons and, and wedge it close. And so um, we talk a lot about speed. I talked to kids today about it. I said, just swing fast. We'll, we'll fix it. We'll get it done. Um, but we want you to swing fast. And so, you know, when they're kids, um, it's a little, the swings are a little more reckless. And as the adults, they're a little more cautious. And so trying to instill speed in an adult is way more difficult than a child. Um, so we, we use super speed quite a bit. And like I said, we use a lot of functional movement. Um, med ball throws and jumps and turns and quick throws and all different things like that to get them to, to speed up. Brian, just a couple more before we let you sure. go. We've got our next guest, Mike Napoleon, hanging online. and get to Mike here in just a minute. But um, talk to me about, for those of us who, who are still struggling with our slice or the opposite, mm -hmm. where we're coming over the top and we're pull hooking our drives or our long irons, mm -hmm. you know, deep left, how do we fix those two issues? Well, I would start first with alignment um, and understanding that whichever way your chest and your toe line is, there's an, in general, there's a tendency for the club to move that way. So uh, back when I learned how to play, everybody was aligning parallel left. So they saw the railroad tracks and, um, or we were a little bit more open. Um, what we would do then is we, like I grew up hitting a cut, you know, a little bit of a fade and, and, uh, when I started to, you know, to visit Hank and learn more about the way Hank taught, he, he, you know, wanted his better players to, to draw the ball. So the progression that we teach is, you know, that you could start with a slice and then you go to hook, then you go draw, then you go good golf and hook, draw, good golf and draw, good golf. But that all starts with, you know, parallel right alignment. And then having the club has to move more into out instead of over the top. So we would, we would uh, adjust those positions for the player. Uh, tonight, because we were at baseball, we were using a lot of baseball analogies with players that were stopping by for lessons, and all of them can relate. The right-handers could relate to hitting a home run to right field. So you'd have their body line facing more towards right field, hit a home run to the upper ducks in right field so they'd hit a block first, and then we would teach them how to rotate the face um, so that they would curve it. So I'd say swing to the right field upper deck and try to curve it over the shortstop's head and we had people hitting beautiful draws in the nets, and they were like, oh, this is easy. You know, I've been taking lessons, and they were telling me this position, and, and I said, well, I mean, positional golf is important, but we have to change your ball flight first for you to get better. So that's how we would, would address the player. We'd have them align a little bit more right and, and have the club move more into out, and then they can start closing the face, and they'll start hooking it. So, Brian, before we let you go, Right, we've got training camp open. You're up there in Buffalo, mm -hmm. right? So I got to yeah, get sure. get a thought on your bills. <laughs> the the schedule makers didn't do them any favors 
Three of the first four no, games were on the road against the Ravens, Vikings, and Packers, but uh, trying to back up their first playoff uh, appearance this century. Can they do it? I believe they can. I was just thinking about it. I knew you'd ask a question about the Bills, and, and uh, um, I think they're going to win some games that they should win, and they're going to win some games that, you know, the, the uh, prognosticators think they're not going to win. Seems like a very good group of guys, and, and uh, they're working hard, and, and we're hoping for the best. You know, there's there's some some uh, people are saying, you know, it's going to be an off year or lay down, but I just think they're going to, uh, you know, have, have a great defense. I think they're going to get their line situated, and, and uh, I think they're going to have a great year. I really do. I think that they're definitely playoff bound again. I got to believe, right? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Brian, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether that's online or over social media. Absolutely. Twitter, Instagram, at Brian Jacobs Golf. And they can come in on uh, Facebook Live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. for uh, my show called The Takeaway. And also, uh, BrianJacobsGolf.com is my website. Go right through the contact form. Um, We'll be promoting some great stuff coming up with – I'm doing a uh, trip to Streamsong in October. It's our inaugural Golf Channel Academy trip, and I'm looking for three three people to go and have some great great fun playing golf in the Pro-Am and getting to hang out with some great people. Well, Brian, it's always so much fun getting to have you as, as part of the show. I can't thank you enough for your time. I hope you'll come back again real soon during the football season. We'll talk a little bit more about your bills, maybe get some things to – to be uh, to be doing during fall golf as well. So, but uh, I Absolutely. can't thank you enough for your time tonight, my friend. Chris, thanks so much. I appreciate our friendship and appreciate you very much. And anytime you need me, just ask. I appreciate you, Brian. Take care. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. You too. God bless. See you, Brian. That is Brian Jacobs. Again, brianjacobsgolf.com is the name of his website, and you can follow him uh, online. The Facebook piece, too. His show is on Tuesdays. You can either get on Facebook Live and and watch him stream it, or you can always uh, watch it afterwards. But it's great stuff. A lot of great lessons and tips come out of his show there. And uh, Brian's is so fantastic. Always love having him as part of the show. And uh, because he's such a big Bills fan, and and we've got uh, other friends up in the the Buffalo area as well. Our good friend Cindy Miller, her husband Alan, our friend on ESPN, Christine Lisi, uh, another big Buffalo Bills fan. So uh, hopefully we can, we'll talk to all of them and catch up with Brian again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Mike Napoleon, I want to remind you about our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company. Go online to bobbyjones.com. Their semi-annual sale is going on right now. Now is the perfect opportunity to change things up layer upon layer. They make style easy. Find carefully coordinated outfits in a variety of colors and options. The Bobby Jones brand delivers excellence, as genuine as the legend himself, with their collection of golf performance and life life apparel for both men and women. See it online at bobbyjones.com. All right, now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is the co-founder and president of Super Speed Golf, Mike Napoleon. Let me give you some background on Mike. Graduated from the University of Georgia. You guys know I'm down here in Atlanta, big UGA fans all around. My wife from UGA as well, and he graduated from their Franklin College of Arts and Sciences. From there, he earned his master's in music performance from Arizona State. 
He is a PGA TPI certified instructor, which gives teaching pros a deep understanding of how the body's strengths and weaknesses affect the golf swing. Super Speed Golf is a fantastic aid. I'm very excited about it. You heard Brian just talk about it as well. And I'm excited Mike is uh, with me now here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mike. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, Chris, great. Thanks for having me. So, Mike, I want to start by understanding, first of all, how did you go from getting your master's in music performance to creating a great golf aid like Super Speed Golf? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, believe it or not, the two worlds are not are, – they're, they're fairly similar. So, I mean, I spent a lot of time through my, like, formal education in, in that world, you know, really trying to learn and understand how people, you know, learn fine motor skills, how to practice, how to schedule practice, how to peak for performances – a lot of those different types of things that we learned in, in that world were almost second nature. And uh, I, I didn't start in the golf business early. You know, I, I got into the golf business after grad school, and it really happened, you know, because I'd never really taken a lot of golf lessons before. And then I started at that point, like right toward the end of grad school. I, I found that a lot of the knowledge that was out there in the golf coaching world was not nearly as intricate on just you know, how long should you practice? When should you practice? Should you take breaks? You know, what, how should you structure an overall program to optimize somebody's learning potential? Um, I kind of saw that there was an opportunity there to bring a lot of the knowledge that I'd studied at the university level for a long time uh, into the golf coaching world and just sort of change the craft a little bit uh, to help people get better in a faster and more efficient way. And, Mike, how did your TPI certification and sort of understanding the body's strengths and weaknesses, how did that play into your designing of the super speed sticks and also the training protocols that you put together? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I hats off to all the guys at TPI. I think they do a phenomenal job of educating people. And from my perspective as a golf coach, especially one that was getting into the business after grad school and, and trying to learn as much as I could, um, every time I went to a TPI seminar, I left thinking, how did I not know this information? You know, I'm working with people every day that have various different physical characteristics that may or may not be limiting the way they swing the golf club. And, you know, I just feel like you're going in blind in a lot of ways if you don't have a good understanding of a lot of the body swing connection. As far as how that affected super speed, I'd answer that in a, a more general sense. You know, as far as what we did before Superspeed, we owned golf performance academies. And, uh, my business partner, Kyle Shea, did all the like health and medical side of that. I did the swing coaching side. And, you know, Our goal there was to find out as much information as we could about a player before we ever tried to coach them. So, I mean, we looked at every intricate detail of the way their bodies work physically, all the biomechanics and 3D motion of their body, you know, force plate data, launch monitor, just to get as much data as we could before we started coaching. So, creating a very personalized program for each client that we dealt with. And what we found out of that, and one of the reasons that we have now moved on to super speed, uh, that's a great model, by the way, for coaching. But what we found is that there's certain aspects of golf coaching, uh, overload, underload training, overspeed training specifically, that's something that can actually work for basically every player that picks it up. And you can do it in a very simplistic way. So we've designed those protocols having all that knowledge of, you know, the intricate ways that people's bodies move during the golf swing in order to make a program that's going to actually fit a vast number of players 
that all of them can do a fairly simple program from a coaching standpoint and get big results in their game. And Mike, going on to your website, superspeedgolf.com, the training protocol says swing aggressively because, as, as the site says, that's the most common error with players nowadays. We should be trying to create maximum speed through the hitting zone. And as I was talking to Brian Jacobs just a little bit ago, that seems very contrary to the way that we were taught when we were kids. You know, a sort of, you know, let the club head do the work. And now we're saying swing fast, be aggressive. Talk about the change in mindset when from my generation to the juniors and the, you know, the guys that are out on tour now in their 20s and 30s and how that plays into super speed golf and getting that club head speed and being more aggressive. I think being more aggressive in the golf swing is not something new. It's just something that wasn't talked about nearly as much. I mean, if you really look back, I mean, go back to like your Jack Nicholas days and those type of players. I mean, these guys were still swinging very aggressively at the golf ball, especially when they've got a driver in their hand. Now, I mean, obviously we're not talking about, you know, uh, you know, easy pitch shots and wedge shots. We're talking about, you know, when you're taking full swings at, at, at driver and your long range and that kind of stuff, club head speed is a major uh, help in helping that ball fly in a better way. Um, I would say that over time, you know, it started, golf has become more and more and more athletic over the last 20, 30 years. You know, I would say, I mean, starting back from, you know, Tiger coming on the scene and, and having so much of a higher level of athleticism than many of those around him. And now everything's just catching up. And now we know that, I mean, if you create a great athlete, you can teach that great athlete how to play very high-level golf. And I think that's the paradigm shift. The paradigm shift, for especially from junior coaching, has gone from let's teach that kid as much as we possibly can about golf and the golf swing as early as we can start him to let's make that kid the best athlete possible in multiple sports. And then as he gets a little older, we can, if he so chooses to specialize in golf, we can then, he'll have the potential to be a very high-powered and, and elite athlete. And, Mike, when we're aggressive through the swing, one of the things that you talk about on the site is also maintaining good balance. So how do we do that? How do we remain aggressive through the swing, get the swing speed, and yet maintain good balance so we're not just swinging out of our shoes? So there's a lot of underlying physical characteristics of the body that can be that can aid you in in creating more speed in a stable way if you will and you know a lot of those have to do with balance and stability um a lot of those have to do with just you know essentially learning how to stabilize both sides of your body making sure um that when you're going to create a lot of acceleration in your swing that you're actually able to stabilize that acceleration and actually get the uh, benefit of it into the actual club speed that you're going to have. So I think balance is one of those things we talk about at super speed, not necessarily as, you know, I need every player to make sure that they hold that perfect finish this way. It's more uh, of a stability type element where we know that if that person fires the lower body very aggressively, that their lead side in their golf swing is strong enough and stable enough to be able to accept that force, you know, stabilize it, transfer energy up the chain to the next segments in the golf swing. And speaking of using both sides of your body, one of the things that I find interesting about the protocols that you have on your site 
is that not only and I'm as a right-handed player, not only am I swinging and 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 trying to get through uh, with with the super speed six with my right, you know, right-handed just as I normally would take my normal golf swing, but you reverse it and say now we got to look at doing the same thing with our non-dominant side. Talk about why. Yeah, there's a lot of good reasons why. In fact, I think that's probably one of the one of the things that creates the biggest jumps in speed for a lot of players that come out of the non-dominant side swing. So one of the basic kind of biomechanics principles we look at when we talk about speed in the golf swing is something we call the big break theory. So this is essentially the better that your lead side in your golf swing can stabilize, the more energy you can transfer from your lower body to your torso to your arms out to the club. So, I, I let me kind of put it, put that in another way. Like when you fire your golf swing, when, when you get up and you transition your golf swing, your lower body fires in a very aggressive manner, right? Well, if it just kept accelerating, you'd basically spin around in a circle. So that, that's not going to work for anybody. So what happens is that lower body fires and then the faster, more abruptly, more aggressively, it's able to slam on the brakes. The more energy we can transfer the swing, the faster we can get the club speed. Now, how that works with the non-dominant side is, especially a lot of our amateur golfers we work with that, you know, have been swinging the golf club and they don't do tons of other exercise, but they're swinging the golf in one direction all the time. What we end up seeing is actually some like cross inhibitions in their body where they'll have a lot of the muscles in their body are working really well. The other half is almost turned off. So what that ha- what happens typically with that swing is that those muscles that are used to stabilize uh, that acceleration um, aren't working well, so we don't get a lot of energy transfer. So that player might feel like they're swinging really hard, but they're not getting any speed out of it. So with the non-dominant swing, it's an indirect way to activate a lot of muscles on the other side of that player's body. They're going to help them transfer more energy. Um, You know, good example, I think it's very interesting, but many of our elite players, uh, especially our powerful, like world long drive level, like elite level speed players, usually are within about a mile an hour of the same club speed on their dominant and non-dominant side. It's kind of wild to think about, but it's... Yeah. So, Mike, one of the other things, you you kind of go through the protocol progression is the step change of direction swing. Talk about what that is and why it's important. Yeah, it's one of my favorite drills for the golf swing, you know, in super speed training and without super speed training, to be honest. Uh, It works on a lot of things. It works on sequencing. So that step change of direction swing from a coordination standpoint gets people feeling the ability to sequence the golf swing, meaning that they're going to use their lower body followed by the upper body followed by the arms in the club um, in sequence, which is something that many amateur golfers do not do well. Um, The other great stuff about that is it also helps uh, it, it really helps a lot with some of the ground mechanics for the player. So, you know, landing on that lead side really starts to get them working or feeling what it's like to press into the ground and uh, essentially have some of those ground reactive forces push back up through their body, which helps with that whole energy transfer in the swing. So uh, really great drill, and again, for timing, sequencing, ground mechanics. It, it hits a lot of things at once. And, all of the protocols that we have for super speed golf and all the training that we recommend with super speed, that's one of the main goals is it's about simplicity. It's about getting a, you know, simple, easy to follow coaching program 
that's going to check off a whole lot of boxes for a whole lot of players in helping them improve their golf swing. So, Mike, after people go through the program, right, and they've started going through and using the Super Speed 6 on it, on a, you know, three, three times a week and uh, going through all the different protocols, what are you seeing with respect to increases in club edge speed and driving distance? Yeah, as a, I mean, we have tens of thousands of data points now seeing it, and we're, we're seeing, we see a pattern um, that's not that's very typical for a lot of patterns you see with speed training in other sports as well. Um, you see an initial jump in speed. So basically when a player starts doing the protocol, the usually after the first session, they're going to see a jump in speed. You know, it's just, for example, let's take a player that swings at 100 miles an hour. We usually see a 5% jump pretty much right away. Then over the next six to eight weeks, it's going to, we, so that's like a, that's the initial jump. In the first six to eight weeks, we're going to call that a normalization phase where what's going to happen is it's going to become permanent. So after about six to eight weeks of regular practice and regular training to the system, we're going to see that player enter a plateau phase at that new speed of around 105 miles an hour. Now, as they continue doing the protocols and they advance to our, our level two and beyond protocols, we'll see another jump in speed, usually somewhere around month four to month five. Uh, that one sees usually about a three and a half percent gain. So that person, again, started at 100 is going to then was then at 105 now going to jump to usually around that 108 to 109 range and there's another about six to eight week normalization phase and then another plateau and uh you know there is some amount of diminishing returns after you know a year or so worth of training it's not like we're just going to constantly see these five and four percent jumps you know every few months um but at that point after they've been doing it for a while we actually see a lot of our tour players that have been doing this for years now love starting to use this before rounds. They feel like it really triggers their nervous system well. They feel, they feel like it's a very easy and more efficient way to get themselves ready to play a round of golf once they've been doing it for, like I said, about that year-plus range of the training. Yeah, I think, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I saw Ian Poulter out on the practice range using the, the super speed sticks uh, last weekend, if I, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yeah, he did. Ian's been working with the system now for about six months. Um, he's been doing some really good stuff with it. If you notice too, and look at some of his stats, I mean, it's all going, it's all going a little faster. The ball's going a lot further. So, Mike, before we let you go, a couple things. One, I got to get your picks. Who, who do you like this weekend in the PGA Championship? Oh man, there's so, that, that's such a that's such a tough pick. I mean, honestly, like. I'm a big fan of a lot of those guys. I really, I really think Justin Thomas is kind of on a roll right now. Um, he's peaking at the right time here for this again, especially with last week. Um, you know, I, I think he would be a front runner. I think Justin Johnson's another front runner as he is in just about every tournament that he enters at this point. And then, you know, I'd also put, you know, some of the, some of the dark horses might be like, uh, like your, I'd probably put like a Tommy Fleetwood in that category. All right. So, Mike, before we let you go, let our listeners know how can they date with all the great things that you're doing. Get your get the, you know get the product online, and then follow you guys on social media as well. Yeah, absolutely. Everything's available at uh, www.superspeedgolf.com. 
Um, that actually you have access to all of our training protocols that are currently published. We actually have some more coming out uh, around the first part of October that'll be very interesting for everybody. Um, all of that information is free, so go check that out, and then you can purchase the system if you like on that website. All of our social media is just going to be at Superspeed Golf. Uh, have some really fun communities on Instagram and Twitter and all those different uh, social media outlets. So you know, check us out. It's great stuff, Mike. I can't thank you enough for for your time tonight. It's it's uh, it's, it's it's exciting for us to be starting to partner with you guys and uh, start to learn more and more about how you know how people are increasing their club head speed. I can tell you. My son's been using it for just a, a little over a week now, and that's all it took for him to go from the just over 100 miles an hour to, to almost 110. So we'll continue oh, to work wow, through that fantastic. and uh, take care of the protocols as well. So we expect to see, you know, continued great things. But thank you for, for partnering with us and being a part of the show tonight. Yeah, no, we're uh, glad to do it. Like I said, our goal is just to help people in the easiest way possible, get some simple stuff out there that's going to help people have more fun with the game of golf. Appreciate it, Mike. Uh, hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up with you guys again real soon in between now and then. All the best to uh, to you and everyone there at Super Speed Golf. All right, you too, Chris. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. That is Mike Napoleon. Again, superspeedgolf.com is the website. Go check it out online, folks. And just to kind of give you an idea of what uh, what we're talking about here is essentially you've got three different weighted shafts about the length of, of your driver and then, and then you get a monitor to tell you how fast your your swing you know, your swing speed is, right? So different weights. You start off with the lightest one. You move to an intermediate, then to a heavier one, and you go through those protocols. And uh, it's just you know five swings uh, you know per stick on the on the right side. You do five swings uh, on the non-dominant side, and uh, and then there's some other things that go through the protocol. But uh, really does it's, – it's interesting, right? The first thing you get is it's fun just to try, right? How fast can I swing it, right? And uh, like I said, my son was out there, you know, going at it pretty hard and got himself to 118, but it sort of was swinging out of his shoes to get to the 118. But uh, started out in the low 100s and uh, uh, on a regular basis has now got himself uh, pretty close to 110. So, uh, you know, hopefully we can uh, – to Brian Jacobs' point – now making sure that that club face right is is where we need it to be, but uh, it's a lot of fun and it's a really cool device and I highly recommend it. Superspeedgolf.com. Go online to check it out. All right, before we close up shop tonight, we uh, want to remind you about our good friend and PGA Tour pro Jim Estes and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association. Let's hear a word from Jim. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating, or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, folks, Jim and his team continue to do wonderful things at the Salute Military Golf Association. 
To find out more information and to see how you can get involved, go online to smga.org. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks again go out to Mr. Ben Wright, Brian Jacobs, and Mike Napoleon for joining me tonight. And uh, please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the T with Chris Mascaro. Please, you know, let us know how we doing. What do you think of the show? Plus, if you've got a question for one of our guests that have been on the show or maybe someone that uh, is scheduled to join us, which you can find online on our website, nextonthetea.net, let me know right there on, the, on our Facebook page, and we'll be glad to get that question answered for you. Please also check out our, our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live Every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, you can stream it live right here on Blog Talk Radio or that show like this one. Also available as a free podcast over on Podbean and on iHeartRadio as well. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends sharing their stories from their playing days and their, you know, sharing their insights and what's going on around the NFL today. Plus, we also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. And again, this show, NextOnTheT.net. Or you can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free by going over to Podbean. We can't thank our friends over on Podbean enough for featuring both shows. Go to Podbean.com or download the Podbean app, and you can take either or both shows with you everywhere you go. Folks, thank you again for listening to this show tonight. We know you've got a thousand podcasts and uh, shows online that you can stream, and we really appreciate the fact that you are making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.